Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Kids, you guys can go to be dismissed first or sixth grade. Uh, and, um, if you're visiting, we don't make you go, just so you know. So if you have a kid that is like scared to go, they don't have to. They can listen to boring old me. Wish they had. Amen. And, uh, all right, how was your week? Good? I got to be a good pastor and ask the question. How was your week? Is it good? You all right? You good? Okay, you're here. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just watching. You got to scan the crowd before you preach because you might just change your sermon depending on who's looking at you. Um, but that's not what we're going to do today. Well, hey, let's get into this. Uh, and I, I just want to encourage you to, to listen and take some notes. Um, like I tell you, if there's some things that pop up on the screen that mean something to you, just take a picture. You can take your phone out and, and take a picture. Because a lot of times we think, hey, I'll, I'll remember that. And then you don't. You ever have those dreams where you think of something really good and you wake up and you're like, I can't remember a thing? Or is that just me? Like a really good sermon title? Okay. It's like, and you wake up, you're like, what was it? And it just happens. But uh, all right, Matthew chapter 14, let's get this. We are in our fifth uh, and final installment of the series called Available in Our Heart. As a church, uh, this year is to be visible and available in our community. Uh, God wants us to be seen as Christians, and he wants us to be available to be used by him uh, when we need to. So he wants us to make a difference in the lives of other people. Uh, I came across something in, from my notes in 2018 uh, this week, and I posted this online. Uh, but I wanted to start out with this, this saying here, and it's, if you want to live defeated, see the negative in everything. If you want to live defeated, see the negative in everything. You know, somebody who's always bummed out is always seeing the negative and stuff. Um, you know, anybody like that? You sitting in, sitting next to anybody? Don't raise your hand. Okay, don't sit in there, right? I'm sitting next to myself. I don't want to be that way. Uh, many of you are going through a lot of stuff. Okay, you're going through some things that you'd rather not go through. And so I want to try to help you navigate through the mess and the pain and the discouragement and let you know that there's hope if you'll only hold on. Okay, anybody water ski? Everybody tried, anybody tried to water ski before? Anybody give up after one time? You're like, no, this just ain't happening. What do you have to do to keep water skiing? You gotta hold on, right? You gotta hold on, because most of the time, you don't get up the first time, most of the time. Some people in first service were lying, they said they did. Um, now, there was two people that actually popped up and, and never fell down for quite a while. That doesn't happen very often. Most of us get the rope jerked out of our hands because we're still learning how to balance. And sometimes life does that to us. It's like you see somebody skiing, you're like, hey, I'm going to do this. And then it just jerks and you're on your face and it fills everything up with water. And you're like, I don't know if I want to do this or not. But in order to be a good water skier, you have to hang on to the rope at times even when it's hard. And you got to try over and over and over again. We as humans have this tendency to focus on what we lack and not what we have. I got home last night after a hard day at church and uh, opened up the fridge for a cold one. Y'all know I don't drink alcohol, but, but I like these, the, the sangrias. Anybody like these? Some people hate them. It's basically grape juice and lime. Um, I got addicted to these in Mexico when I went on a missions trip and you couldn't drink the water. And the little tiny store had these and I've, I've never tasted something like it. Um, and so I had forgotten about them until we went to Mexico on that missions thing this last, uh, I think it was October, whenever we went. And I went into the store and guess what? I got addicted again. They had them, and I was like, ah! And now I found out that the dollar store sells them right here. And so I, I, I'll have like one or two a week, you know, they're like a buck. And so last night, I don't drink them all at once. Usually it's like in thirds, because it says portions three, and I follow rules. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't say you can't drink three portions at once. It just says there's three portions. Well, I got home, and I, I grabbed it, and it was like down to here. 
And my wife doesn't like them, so I was like, somebody's been drinking out of my, who's drinking out of my thing? It had to be my granddaughter. Um, and, and I was focused on, on the lack. Not that there was two or three drinks left, I was focused on what wasn't there. And a lot of times we will do that in life. We will focus on the lack instead of what we have. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because um, I, I, I caught myself doing it last night and I had to bring that to show you. All right. We have this tendency to focus on what we don't have. I have nothing to eat. I have nothing to wear. Where did this start? This started with Eve. Right? Eve said, oh, look at that fruit. Well, I got nothing else to eat, so I got to eat this. And Eve said, I have nothing to wear. And I realized that she's the only woman in history who was actually right. Because she, yeah, she didn't. So it's true. All right, one out of two. It started with Eve. God gave her everything she could imagine. Everything she wanted was in the Garden of Eden. Perfect husband, fruit, you know. And there was, there was two trees they weren't supposed to be eaten from. Basically one, it was a tree of life. But, uh, but there was one, he's like, don't eat the fruit. Don't even, don't, don't mess with this fruit. You got everything else. And what was the one thing that she had to have? Because she felt lack, like, hey, God's holding out on me. And the devil tricked her, okay, and Adam was there, and he took a bite too, um, knowing that it was wrong. He was deceived. Adam just did it because he was dumb. <laughs> I, that's what I think. Or he went, let's see, in the garden by myself, out of the garden with a really good-looking woman. I think I'll just go ahead and have a bite. I think he was like, yeah, you're hot. I'm going to go ahead. This is worth it and got kicked out of the garden. I'm not sure how that's went down, but anyways, he ate it. And we have this idea now that, that we have nothing to eat. We have nothing to wear. You ever had your kids go to the fridge or the pantry and they open up, they're like, there's nothing to eat. And you look at there's food all over. It, it's, it's what they want that's not there. Like, I, it's not that there's lack, it's what they don't want. Or did anybody actually, and we had some honesty this morning. Did anybody this morning said, I have nothing to wear? Or you thought that I have nothing to wear? Okay, good. There's, wow, way more honesty in the second service than first. Um, okay, because we're used to, the, what you're saying is that there's nothing that would look good on me or there's nothing new or nothing that, you know, that I want to wear is really what we're saying. But we develop this idea that somehow we're lacking. Commercials prove this. TV proves this. It tells you what you don't have. Every advertisement is telling you what you don't have. And it's creating this lack that really is already in our heart. Uh, now, Seeing lack is not always a bad thing because we'd still be walking on dirt trails if somebody didn't look at a horse and go, hey, why walk when you can ride? Okay, so invention is good. But when we look at lack and look at it as a bad thing as, okay, God, I don't have this so I can't be used by you. That's a bad thing here. So as we get into this lesson, uh, I want to just tell you a story, a true story that happened with our ranch. Um, several years ago, we have a, my parents have a ranch up out of Emmett. And, we, and there was a big fire that was burning across Squaw Butte, if you know where that's at. And it was burning from the north, pushing south. And my, my parents had just got back from a cruise in Alaska. And they were at the airport in Seattle. And I called my dad. I said, there's a big fire coming. And it was still several miles away, but it was coming pretty fast. Um, you know, and he's stuck in the airport. Can't, he's like, nothing you can do. So I had a, a tractor. We have a tractor up there with a big box scraper. So I was going to build some fire lines. So I went out, got on the tractor, started it up, and it wouldn't move. Like I could go through the gears, but I, it would rev. I couldn't figure out the thing will not move. I didn't know why. Um, Dad was in the air by that time, so there's no cell service. I, I can't figure out. Um, it, very, very frustrating, and the fire burned through the whole ranch, just destroyed all kinds of deer country. Um, horrible. You see, I had the tool, but I didn't have the ability because of one thing that I didn't know about. 
there was a little disabled switch that was painted over, didn't say anything, didn't know what it was, and, and it had been pulled out, and it's a safety mechanism so that you basically don't run over yourself. Um, it was disabled by something that I didn't recognize. And one thing that we all deal with is discouragement. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So what I would like you to do is look to the person next to you and ask them a question. Now, it's gonna sound bad at first, okay? But bear on. And here's the question. Look at them and ask them, say this, are you disabled? And follow it up by discouragement. Are you disabled by discouragement? That's the title of the message today is disabled by discouragement. And the, the scene here, some of you really like that question. <laughs> now look at your, another passage, look at your number two choice on the other side and ask the same question. Uh, okay, here's the context in Matthew. We're gonna look at Jesus and we're gonna look at the fact that he was discouraged about some things, okay? And it's kind of weird, like, well, how could Jesus be discouraged? Because he was, you know, God in the flesh, but he still had emotions. And as I begin to study this, I was actually focused on our main topic, and I start seeing some things before the main topic that I believe God said that this all ties in. Um, even added one this morning, like before the story I was going to tell you, there's another story just to kind of get an idea of where Jesus was at emotionally uh, before the main story. So here's what Jesus does. It says in uh, chapter 13, okay, verse 33, it says this. When Jesus had finished teaching these parables, so he taught the, all these people a lot of cool stuff. It says he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Okay, he's in his hometown. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, are all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Okay, they were amazed at first, and they're going, we know who this guy is. He is the illegitimate son of Mary. We know his dad, they didn't even name, didn't even name him here. Isn't that the carpenter's son? That's Joseph, that's the guy that married this woman who got pregnant out of wedlock, and he wasn't the dad. That, that, this stuff is still all going around. Okay, gossip never stops. And they're like, who, who is this guy? And then it says they got offended at him. And Jesus obviously knew it because he, he answers back and he says this. He said, only in his hometown, I have to believe that Jesus was a little sad. Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now, do you sense a little discouragement here? Jesus is saying, I'm doing all this good stuff and even in my hometown, they don't like me. Even in my hometown, I can't do many miracles because they just won't believe in who I am. Now in America, in the world, when you have a hero, you have a famous person or a professional ball player, what does the hometown normally do? Put their name up, right? I mean, you can go to towns in Idaho that have professional ball players and you'll see home of so-and-so. They're proud of them. And here Jesus gets scorned. All he is doing is healing people. All he is doing is helping people. And they're like, isn't this Joseph? This is illegitimate. Who is this guy? And, and, and I think Jesus felt a little discouraged because when you go to your hometown, right? People would be like, hey, yeah, you're from our hometown. This is great. But that's not what he has. So that, that ties into the next thing that happens. So he deals with rejection. Okay, he should have had honor as a hometown hero, but instead he got rejection. And I'm here to ask you, have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt rejection by the people that should love you? 
I would say a high majority of people in our church have. Okay? You've gone through and you know, Jesus, and here's why I believe that, that Jesus showed me this verse to read this one too, is, is that he knows what it feels like to be rejected by people who should love you, by people who should honor you, by people that you're just trying to do your best. And even if you messed up, we still should be loved by our parents. We still should be loved by those closest to us. And those who are closest to us, when they reject us, it hurts worse. And I really believe that Jesus felt some discouragement here. He's like, I want to do, he, but, but I can't because you guys simply won't believe. So he's, I think he's feeling some rejection here. How does that happen? I don't know, because he's God in the flesh, but he still has emotions. Somehow he still had emotions, okay? We see that he wept. We see that he was sad. I mean, we see that he felt rejected by God when he was in the garden. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that he's dealing with on an emotional level. And, and now we're going to where... He, he loses his cousin, okay? John the Baptist gets killed in prison. He knows John the Baptist is in jail for preaching the gospel and he's doing the right thing and Herod has this crazy party and this girl dances for him and he gets turned on. He's like, I'll give you whatever you want. And she talks to her mom. Her mom's like, cut the guy's head off, you know, because John had been preaching against her lifestyle. And so they chopped his head off, brought it to him on a platter. <laughs> Whoever said the Bible's boring hasn't read the Bible, right? I mean, this is like gross stuff. And, and Jesus hears about it where it picks up in chapter 14, verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he had just heard that my first cousin just got killed. Okay, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Okay, what does that tell us? It, to me, it tells me that he's hurting. He just gets rejected from his hometown moments later, hours later, however, days later, he, he experiences loss. He has two major things happen in his life, rejection and the death of a loved one. And emotionally, we have to know where he's at for the next story to really make any sense. See, I believe, and I think I'm right, that Jesus knows exactly how you feel today. He knows exactly what you're facing. He knows exactly, and I think that's why he allowed himself to become a man, so he would know. In fact, the Bible points toward that. He knows what you face. He knows what you're going through, and with that, he can have comfort, okay? I want you to, say, I want you to look at me for a moment. With the rejection part, as your pastor, as your friend, you need to hear this from me, and that's this. I believe in you, every single one of you. I believe in you. I don't care what your parents told you, what your grandparents told you. If it was a negative thing, you need to know that your pastor, who's also your friend, believes in you. You're here for a reason. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. And I get to be used by God to tell you, you have a purpose. You have a reason. And I'm glad every single one of you here. Why? Because we're just one big team trying to move the ball down the field. We're trying to just make it through life. Um, some of us are bruised and battered but we're really on the same team. Just trying to make it. All different levels in our walk with God, but we're trying and we're gonna make it, amen? We really will. So here, Jesus in this emotional state, it's important we understand where he was at, withdrew by a boat to get some privacy and I'm all about withdrawing by a boat to get some privacy, right? Stephen's about time to go fishing, isn't it? I mean, you know, and two guys can fish and not talk and have a great time. It's just, yeah, <laughs> right? Most women can't get that. Like, how can two guys be in a boat, fish for three hours, not say a word and be happy when they get home? What did you guys talk about? Nothing? It wasn't the point. We're fishing, right? <laughs> the only thing we might say is, got one! <laughs> might be the only thing. Or you could have great conversation, right? But I love how Jesus set an example that when something ha was happened, it's okay to get away. 
It's okay to withdraw. It's okay to go by yourself and just talk about things to God and, and pray about things or just think. So one of the hardest things to do is to help people when you yourself are hurting. And that's where we're going with this is Jesus is hurting, rejection, death of a, of a close loved one, his, his cousin, he's hurting. And yet there are gonna be people that come and want to be ministered to, that need to be ministered to. And we're gonna see how Jesus reacts to this. It's hard to help people when you yourself are hurting, yet this is what Jesus does. Again, I don't understand the emotional state of Jesus feeling rejection, feeling death, because he knows John the Baptist is gonna be in heaven. He knows things are better now than in prison. And yet at the same time, he feels this human emotion of sadness and loss. Jesus was determined not to be disabled by discouragement. If you don't know the story, when he was about to, to go into Jerusalem before the crucifixion, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks, he looked over Jerusalem and it says, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I, I just long to, to be like a hen who just brings her chickens, little chicks, just to protect you. And what Jesus was saying is, is I love you, but you won't let me love you. I want to do something for you, but you won't let me. And Jesus's heart was broken. And there's no verse again that says, and Jesus was discouraged and walked away. There's no verse, but there's plenty of verses that, that mention the emotion of discouragement. So Jesus knows what it's like, I believe, to go through discouraging things. Um, so he understands where you're at. I wrote down here, discouragement isn't a sin, it's an emotion. So you have to understand when you go through a hard time and you're discouraged about things, you're not in sin. It's just an emotion that you feel. Well, verse 14 says this, Jesus goes by, off by himself, says when he landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. There's other, all four gospels talk about this story. Um, one of them says that when Jesus was in the boat going to the private place, all the crowd began to run around the lake. <laughs> you ever tried to get away and people just follow you? If you're a mom, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like sometimes the only place that's quiet is the bathroom. And even then they know how to pick the lock and bang on the door. It's just crazy. So I suggest you get super loud fans that you just can't hear it. Right? It's like, mom, why you been in there for an hour? <laughs> yep. <laughs> why? Because of you. Right? That's the, they ask why. You just tell them why. Because right? you're driving me crazy. How is it that when you're a kid, you hate timeouts. And when you're a parent, you want one. <laughs> Right? That's messed up, right? It's like, can I just have a timeout? Wouldn't you love for your three-year-old to go, go to timeout? <laughs> really? <laughs> really, I can go to timeout? I, I, would, I would love that at times, right? What? Adult timeout is, is, of course, some people call that prison. That's not always a good thing. But, but as a parent, we need that time away. We really do. So now all these people come and find him because he's been healing and, and they love him. His compassion switch kicks in and he helps them. So my question at this point is, is, is what are you facing right now? I talked to you last week about this and we used the window. I brought the window frame back. What is it that, that you're just dealing with? Okay? And what I want to use this, this week is a, it's a window of opportunity. Okay? What, what is it that, that you want that lies on the other side, but there's something in the way? Okay, it might be discouragement. That's kind of what we're focusing on today. But this is a window of opportunity. And a lot of times we get discouraged like last week. And, and instead of being persistent, we just give up. God doesn't want you to give up. If it's a God-given dream, you need to pursue it. God-given dreams are rarely easy. Rarely easy. God-given dreams are usually big and persistence and it's work and it's hard and there's battle scars, but it's always worth it. What are you facing right now? Second question is, is it stopping you from doing what God has asked you to do in life? Is it stopping you? 
I wrote this week in, on my Facebook post, I believe, is that if the devil knows that pain renders you ineffective, he'll make sure you have plenty of pain to focus on. If pain will stop you, the devil will go, oh, that works on them. So I'm just gonna keep creating pain in their life because they won't do what God has asked them to do because they're gonna be so focused on the pain. And here's what the devil likes to do. He likes to give you a magnifying glass. And he loves to say, hey, look at your problem. Look at that thing. Look at it through the eyes of this, okay? Because this is pretty big through a magnifying glass and Satan loves to give you this and say, look at your problem. Look at what it is that's keeping you from doing what God wants you to do. He loves to do that. He loves to give to you. And sometimes you just gotta tell the devil what to do with a magnifying glass. And that's to take it back. What were you thinking? That was a, that was a good amen. I'm not sure where your mind was going on that. Um, I didn't say it, but you thought it, um, right? There's times you could talk to the devil like that. Say, devil, take your magnifying glass and, and go somewhere else, Okay. Because Satan wants you to focus on discouragement. And when you're focused on your discouragement, guys, you will be disabled to do what God wants you to do. That's what we're talking about today. Jesus was not disabled by his feelings of discouragement. He, he could have said, you know what? I, I, I felt rejected from my family or the people in my town, not necessarily my family, but well, even his family did question him because some of his disciples were his brothers. I don't know if you know that. Um, and even they didn't believe until after he resurrected. I mean, it's a whole story that we don't preach a whole lot in church, but even his brothers, his real brothers were like, whoa, he really was the Messiah. <laughs> he really was perfect. <laughs> we always called him Mr. Perfect, but he really was. Um, I know, I wonder how often Mary told his brothers, why can't you just be like your brother, Jesus? I don't know if she ever said that or not, but haven't we thought that with our kids? You shouldn't say that necessarily, but we do think that sometimes. But you will be disabled by distraction if, if you just focus on the pain. So you can't always determine distraction, but you can control your focus. Okay? We will be distracted in life. We will. But what are you focusing on? That's the important thing. I got a friend who is on the Boise Police Department and he told me a story that happened um, down on Broadway several years ago. And he said that he, he responded to a motorcycle crash. The motorcycle crashed into the back of a car. And uh, so he went there to interview uh, you know, the eyewitnesses. Well, there was a particular eyewitness who was a very attractive woman wearing rollerblades, Daisy Dukes, and a tank top. Or I, actually, no, it was a bikini top. Um, and as he was interviewing her, she said... I think I might have caused that. You think? Okay, so here's what happened. Guy's riding a motorcycle, sees Daisy Duke, and, and forgets he's riding a motorcycle and doesn't brake. Well, hitting the back of a car stops you pretty well. Uh, and come to find out, that's really what happened. He got so distracted by her that he got into a wreck. Again, you can't, you can't always help dis attraction, but you can't help distraction. You got to stay focused on what it, is, what it is that God wants you to focus on. So the right focus will keep you living in freedom. And this also applies to the next lesson as this story transition. All right. We're talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And you're going to see how this all ties together. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, again, he withdrew to a solitary place. They came, he healed him and feed him. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Do you see a problem with people telling Jesus what to do? Like his disciples are like, Jesus, you need to send them away. You need to do this. And, and Jesus looks at him. He replied, he says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, 
all four gospels have this story. I want to read you John's uh, little, when, what, what he saw, because there's always the same story in a different perspective. And so it says this, when Jesus looked up, this is chapter six, verse five. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was gonna do. What's he gonna do? He's gonna multiply the food, but he's asking Philip, hey, where should we buy bread? Just to do what? To do what? To test him. Do you think Jesus ever just tests you? Absolutely. He already had in mind what he was gonna do, but he wanted to see what Philip's response was. He, I, I think he's wishing that Philip would have said, you know what, oh, you can, you've already turned water into wine and you've done all these great things. Just make some, bake some bread. But Jesus is testing him, wants to see what his action, and Philip's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't have anywhere to go. Do we got money? Hey, we got juice. We got money. We got money. We got money. And, and this whole thing goes on. And Jesus, I think, is just grinning because it says he had in mind what he was going to do. Let me show you this. Jesus already knows what he's going to do with your life if you're willing to submit it to him. He already knows. He's got plans, but he's going to do some things to test you. He wants to see if you're serious and if you're persistent to keep knocking on that door that you believe is God's plan for your life. And if it's not God's plan for your life, there's times that God's gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna make this very obvious to you. The answer is no, no, okay? Because I know what you don't, you don't wanna go through that door. You can pound it down, you can force it, it can happen, but I'm telling you no and you need to listen to me, but God does not make you not do stuff. He still gives you free will. You can still make the choice, but he will sure make it difficult for you if it's going to hurt you. So Philip, okay, where should we buy bread? And Philip's like, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Andrew's got a little bit more faith. Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. He goes, well, here's a kid with five small loaves of bread and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus tells everybody to sit down. I'm about to do something good. The question basically was this. Jesus basically asked, what do you have? What do you have? And I think that's what he's asking of us today. That a lot of us are focusing on the lack instead of what we do have. See, I had a whole bottle at one point and I only have two drinks left and I didn't throw it away with two drinks. You know what I did? I went out and I sat in my hot tub and I had my two little sips, right? And I'm like, well, at least I I can focus on what I have left. And then I threw this away and then I said in the middle of the night, I, when I woke up, I was like, wait, I could use that as an illustration because I was focusing on my lack instead of what I had. At least I had, I had two drinks left. Okay? At least I had something. At least I have something. What are you focusing on today? And you see it as lack or what you actually have. Now, Jesus is about to teach them. Oh, I, I messed up. Okay, what do you have? Because focusing on lack can disable you. Okay, focusing on lack can disable you. Jesus is about to teach him a lesson in trust. Again, our problem as humans is we tend to see what we don't have instead of what we do have. And social media does not help this. Okay, if you're a hunter, like you get, you know, I shot a fork at horn. Well, then, you know, Lucky Larry shoots a four point. All of a sudden you take your picture down. You're like, okay, we're not so proud of my work. I had, a, I, this happened last year in, in Maui. I was, if you saw, I, do, I take, do, do drone footage and I was flying over some whales and I got some pretty cool pictures of whales just swimming. And I went to show my dad, hey, look at this video I got. He goes, let me show you this one first. And he shows a guy that had a drone over a whale that breached. The drone's looking at the whale, the, the whale comes out of the water and just crashes. And I was just about to show him my 
video of the whale just swimming along. And I was like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> That's way more cool than what I had. Okay. And I didn't even show him. I'm like, yeah, don't have. All right, in modern, okay, let me, let me just, May, do you have a wedding ring on? Is it on? No, okay, that's okay. She is married, just so you know. I need somebody with a wedding ring. Is that good? No, I don't want your wedding ring. I don't want it. Are you good with this illustration? It depends on what you're doing. It depends on what I'm doing. Okay, I need you to come up. Just, just come up here. Because I'm gonna mess with you a little bit, okay? I know, it's my friend Becky. I'm gonna mess with you. Let me see that ring. That's pretty. Thanks. You guys must have been on a budget. Um, Because when I bought my wife her ring, it's a real green diamond. Let me see yours again. Hmm. I mean, yours is pretty good, but see what I bought. See what I bought my wife. Now, this isn't to make you insecure because this is a stupid ring pop. You have a beautiful wedding ring, okay? The whole point, guys, is this: is that we can have something of a lot of value, but if something has that we think has a little more value, all of a sudden what we have isn't so good. And we can do this comparison thing. And we are terrible at this. We're terrible at this. Here, it's uncontaminated. Actually, you probably don't want to touch that. Here, it's got coronavirus, but who cares? We're in church. Um, thank you, Becky. I'll give it to my granddaughter. She can get sticky. And then her mom can take care of it afterwards. Um, there you go. All right. But, but you understand what I just did? Is we, we, we're happy with ours until we see somebody with a better one or a bigger one or more expensive. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, okay, listen, it's still a wedding ring, right? Yeah. Pastor Stephen Furtick preached this about the bags. If you have it, it's a really good message. You know, it's still, it's still got value. It's still important. But when we look at somebody else and what they have, we begin to devalue what we have, but it's still got value. Right. And we are terrible at, as humans of comparing when God gave us what he gave us or our husband or our wife gave us what they gave us, we need to value it as such and not look at it as lack. And again, our human brain is terrible at doing this. So the comparison thing is natural, but it isn't healthy. It's natural, but it isn't healthy. Now, let me ask you a question, ladies. If, if, if Becky decided to donate that ring to the church and I had her ring and I had the ring pop, which one would you take? No ring pop, I know. I, I knew it was always one in the crowd. Um, which one would you take? You would take the real one, right? Because it's worth way more. You can get like five for a dollar. Not wedding rings, but the ring pops, okay? I should have kept it. There's no question. If you, if you found it on the ground, you wouldn't go, a ring pop! Oh, there's a diamond ring. Yeah, that's, that's cool, but I got a ring pop. You wouldn't post it on Instagram. You would post the real diamond. Look what I found. Why? Because you know there's a lot more value even though the ring pop is bigger. Some of you are still convinced you're gonna have the ring pop. If you really want the ring pop, you can have the ring pop. Uh, okay, I'm going with a real diamond, okay, because it's worth more, it has more value. Now, the devil has no problem defeating the easily disappointed Christian. See, I give you like little tidbits of what I'm preaching on throughout the week because that's when I post stuff. Usually I'll think of something, I'll be like, I'm gonna post this. The devil has no problem defeating the easily disappointed Christian because when you're easily disappointed and it, it, you're defeated, he will make sure there's plenty of disappointment in your life. He, has, he, he likes disappoint, easily disappointed Christians. He likes you to leave church and go, yeah, that was, yeah, I didn't like that or I didn't like that song. I can't believe we sang it. We sang that song two months ago. I can't believe we sang it again. And here you have one song on your playlist that you listen to over and over and over again. 
Now, our church isn't bad. I don't hear many complaints about that. But I have in the past where people would just complain about stuff. And instead of saying, you know what? God did something in my life. We tend to focus on what didn't happen. Okay? And we have to ch- learn how to change things. So there was a little boy there that uh, had five loaves and two fish. He seemed to be the only one in the crowd. Now, we, we were told here there's 5,000 men. All right, ladies, I am sorry, but they did not count women back then. Okay, it's a sad situation. But when they counted, they counted the men. So we're looking at at least 10,000 people, probably more. Okay, I've heard upwards of 10, uh, 15, 20,000 of all the kids and all the women were counted. And, and so there's a lot of people to feed. Jesus says, don't, they don't need to go away. Give, give them some to eat. And here's what's the response in Matthew 17. It says, here's, we have here only, and only is highlighted in my Bible. We have here only Five bread and two fish, they answered. They were being honest, but the word only limits it, okay? Now, guys, didn't Jesus turn water into wine? Didn't Jesus calm the storm? Didn't Jesus heal the blind man? Didn't Jesus raise the man from the dead? Didn't Jesus call Lazarus out of the tomb after three days? And these guys saw all of this, and they're like, well, we just got a few pieces of bread. It's like they completely forgot all the miracles of Jesus. Who, what are they thinking, because if you and I would have been there, we'd go, oh, Jesus got this. Just a little bit of bread, you. I was there when he, man, the calm water, when Peter, you know, when Peter did his thing, he sunk. Remember Peter? He doubted, doubting Peter, you know. I stood in the boat because, you know, that was a safe place. I was there when I saw the blind man see. I was there when I saw the lame man jump up and start walking around. I was there when Lazarus came out of the tomb who should have been stinky. I was there. This ain't nothing. We're with Jesus. Because what I've learned is, is when you give Jesus a little bit, he can turn it into a lot. You, you can't forget who's in your boat. You can't forget who you are serving. We are serving the God of the universe who is in human form at this point. And what did he say? All right, what did he say? He said, just bring it to me. You see, all you've got is all you need when Jesus is in it. Quit focusing on the lot. Quit focusing on what you don't have. A little is a lot when it's in the hands of Jesus. And he said, what? Bring it to me. He put them in groups of 50s and 100s. And I noticed, look, because I read all four stories in all four gospels, not one time does Jesus rebuke them for their lack of faith. Not one time. There's other times that he does, but he doesn't in this instant. He just says, bring me what you got. And so they go, and I'm gonna make this 20th century. The little boy has some Franz donuts because they're the best because that's what we serve here at Change Life Church because that's what our good friend brings us, Um, okay? And they are good. And he opens up the box, and he's like, got five donuts? Some of you are all like, I wish I had that donut. Not after I touched it. If you know all the hands that I shook before church, you'd be like, don't give me that donut. Um, But there's some in there that I didn't. And here's what what happened. He brings it, and in three out of the four books, I noticed something. I noticed that it said Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And in John, he says afterwards they picked up broken pieces. Okay, John was not, it was the only one that didn't say, or that said that didn't say that Jesus broke the bread, but they picked up broken pieces, so pieces were broken. And I thought, okay, Lord, why did you put that information in all four gospels? Because when you read all four gospels, there's four different perspectives on things. And there's things that are left out in each one, things that are added. It all happened, just different eyes. Why does it say in three out of four and and basically four that you broke it? 
And so I'm weird because I just talked to Jesus. So I was like, Jesus, you were there. Matter of fact, Jesus, you did it as if I would remind Jesus and he would go, oh yeah, I did do that. And I said, Jesus, why did you break the bread? What's the significance of, of it being broken? Why, why did you point that out? And here's what I feel his answer was, is that he can make something out of something that's broken. And we're, when we're willing to give the Jesus or give to Jesus the little that we have, he can break it down further and still do something with it. You see, a seed has to be broken before it can reproduce. So in our lives, this is not what God is, is asking us to do, is to bring a donut with, with a hole that's still intact. You see, because we can come to church and we can be like, my donut's not broke. Your donut, it's smashed. <laughs> you destroyed your life. Oh, you were on drugs and you were a prostitute and you did all this stuff. Oh man, but look at my, my Jesus likes my donut because it's not broke. And you know what an unbroken donut is? It's got a lot of pride. It's got a lot of pride. It's good on the outside, but it's got a hole on the inside. And what God is saying today is that, that, that when he breaks something, there's a reason for it. Sorry, Grace. See, if we had church mice, then... What do they call it in war? They call it some uh, casualties... Uh, what is it called? Right. Yeah, but there's a term. Uh, when innocent civilians get... Yeah, but collateral damage. Thank you. You win the donut. Who said that? Is that Clint? Who said that? Thank you, brother. That's what I, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Thank you for that booming voice. You should be preaching, actually. Um, Collateral damage is what donuts on the floor. All right, let's get back to the lesson. Y'all distracting me. Uh, so what, what God, or Jesus does is, is he breaks it. And, and I was like, Lord, why? And it's because Jesus likes broken things. You see, humans tend to throw broken things away, but brokenness is what Jesus wants from us. And somehow he can break something and multiply it. And like a seed, when you plant a seed in the ground, it has to break open for it to reproduce what it is. And so in our lives, don't despise the broken times, guys. Don't despise those times when you are discouraged and you're down and you're out. It could be that God is just breaking you to get something new to grow out of you. God is not impressed with a donut that's perfect. He's not. Our church is full of unperfect donuts that are all broken. And if you're not broken, you're more broken than you think. Okay? Give us a DVR of your thought life and you will think differently. You'll be like, yeah, no, I'm not turning that one in, Okay. Because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God wants to take what's broken and make it good. So being broken in the world's eyes doesn't mean you're disqualified in the eyes of God if you're willing. And you need to hear that today. So instead of focusing on what's going wrong, try to look at what is going right. This morning, how many of you, how many of y'all had a hot water heater break this morning? Like you woke up and there was no hot water. Anybody? Oh, did your hot water work? I'm not gonna ask if you took a shower because that'd be an invasive question, but, okay, but everybody had hot water that you know of? Okay, something went right, didn't break. How many of y'all got in your car and it started up and you drove to church? Okay, look at the seat next to you that's empty. They're probably home fixing it, all right? What worked? Your car. Did you start to go out this morning? Something went right. Did you run out of gas? If you did, that's your fault, okay? But, but listen, how much has gone right already this morning that we don't think about? You're breathing. Did you just breathe? 
something's going right? Did your heart just beat something's going right? Is God in control when you don't think he is? Yes, something's going right in your life. You choose what you focus on. Does that mean that bad things aren't gonna happen? No, stuff's gonna happen. We're gonna deal with it. But what I've always said from some youth pastors is, is you deal with a negative, but you dwell on the positive as best as you can. Because we can't be focusing on the lack. We have to focus on what we have. See, what you're facing now, you have a choice to make. And here's what I wanna close with. Will it disable you or will it drive you? Are you disabled by discouragement? Are you going through something? You're like, I just don't know how I'm gonna get through this. It's just gonna be crazy. It ain't gonna work out. Because I know some people, that they just have that mentality. It's never gonna work out. If you tell yourself it's not gonna work out, guess what? It's probably not gonna work out. If you tell yourself, and when you're playing baseball, I'm not gonna hit it, not gonna hit it, not gonna hit it. You might get a foul tip. You might hit it, maybe. But if you talk yourself out of things, probably not gonna happen. You need to have that confidence that you're gonna go up and you're gonna hit the ball. So whatever you're facing right now, what is the most important thing that you're dealing with? The most thing that's maybe discouraging, will it disable you or will it drive you? You determine that. You can't always determine what discourages you, but you can determine how you react to it. And some of you are at that place today that you need to let it drive you. So back to the tractor. When my dad landed, he knew exactly what the problem was. He told me where it was at and what did I needed to do. And I went, oh, now it drives. Well, it's too late. Branch is burned up. I want to be my dad to you guys to maybe help you recognize there's things that are disabling you to go, oh, I didn't think about it that way. I'm going through some stuff in life and it has actually kept me out of the game. It's kept me on the bench because I'm going through it whether it's a divorce, whether it's something at your work, whether it's just an addiction that you have and you're on the bench and you go, well, I, I can't be used by God because my, my, my donut's broken. And you know what Jesus wants? He just says, hey, you bring me the donut. That's all I need you to do. And you let me watch me do something with it. Bring me your brokenness and watch me do something. Now, again, if you're in sin, guys, and you're, you're, you're sinning on purpose, it's not just a struggle, but you're like, I'm just doing it. You're bringing stuff on yourself. Okay, you know what I feel about sin. Jesus died for our sin. We have to take that serious, right? If, we need, if we're sinning and we're like not repenting and we're not even trying to fight it, that's this kind of stuff that God says, I can't do much with that if you won't repent. It's important that we ask for, for forgiveness from God and do our best to fight it. Some of us bring about the, the problem on ourselves. But here's what I hope you do. I hope that you choose to improve what is instead of focus on what's not. And I'm gonna ask you as your friend to remind me when I have my moment when I'm discouraged, when I'm like, ah, I'll just go paint houses. <laughs> I don't want to go paint houses. I want to preach, right? I, want to, I love to do. But there are days when painting a house is easier than pastoring people. You know how many days that is? Like seven? But you know what? I love it. I love what I do. I love the fact that God has put me in a position to be able to encourage people. But I want to tell you this. As a pastor, I still have my moments of discouragement. I have those moments, okay? I did a funeral for a friend of mine. Um, his son, 26-year-old, passed away this uh, last week and Thursday. So I came here on Wednesday to do Bible study the next morning um, trying to help my friend walk through this, okay? It's stuff that you don't post on Facebook, but it's stuff that, that you face and your heart's broken. Some days I have to get up here and try to share God's word with you and my heart's just ripped up inside because somebody's going through something really hard. But I'm here to tell you that, that every single one of us go through the Jesus moments where the gift kicks in. The gift kicks in. You're going through stuff, but you can help somebody else. And what I have found is that when we're having discouraging times, if we will just help somebody through their times, you will feel a little bit better about life. 
doesn't make the problem go away, but he will feel like, okay, I am making a difference. I am making a difference. A little's a lot when it's in the hands of Jesus. See, right focus will also keep you in freedom because you won't be bound by comparison or perceived lack because you're focused on what you have. So don't be disabled by discouragement. I want to tell you to take one more step. I want you to tell yourself, God has a plan for me and it's good. Tell yourself that God has a plan for my life and it's good. I don't understand. I don't understand what's, what's the blockage right now, but I do understand that God has a plan for me and I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to be tenacious. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to fall and I'm going to scrape my knees. I'm going to have a bunny nose sometimes because of my lack of faith, but I'm going to get up because I know God is faithful and I'm going to take him the little that I have and I'm going to give it to him and he's going to turn around and do something big with it. Amen. You believe that? Say, convince me, and then I'll let you go. Okay. See, I can make you say amen. I, I can, all right? I hope you learned something from this. I'm gonna choose to trust and not be disabled by discouragement. That's, that's my choice, amen? That's my choice. That's my choice. So for this day, I thank you for my church family. And uh, there's two questions I have to ask you today. The first one is that if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I wanna tell you, first of all, that God loves you so much. I don't know what kind of upbringing you had. I don't know if you had parents that believed in you or not. I don't know if you had parents that maybe have abandoned you. But I will tell you this, that God promises to never abandon you. Have you given your life to him? If you've not given your life to him, the Bible is very clear that there's heaven and there's hell. There's two places that we, choose, we can go. We have to choose heaven. We have to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross. That is the only way that we can get to heaven is by accepting what he did on the cross. And if you've never done that, if you've never made that decision to ask God to forgive you, to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and that's a decision you would like to make today. I'm not pressuring you to do it, but I'm just telling you the truth, that we need to ask Jesus to forgive us if we wanna to go to heaven when we die. That's an important thing. And from someone who does a lot of funerals, this is, talk about it every Sunday is because we just don't know what time is that we need to be right with God every moment of every day. So if you need to make that decision, and that's you, between me and you and the Lord, would you just slip your hand up? I'm not gonna embarrass you or point you out. I do wanna pray with you. But is there anybody that needs to give their life to Jesus today? Okay, all right. Is there anybody else? See that hand? All right. Amen. Well, this is how we do this is our, our church family. I'm gonna just lead us in a prayer and I ask us all to pray together because there could be people online watching that need to know how to do this. But church family, let's just pray this together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for me and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And I will serve you till the day I meet you. In your name, amen, amen, amen. You prayed that prayer, amen. You just became a Christian, amen. You just got saved, that's a good thing, amen, amen, amen. Proud of you, proud of you. We do have a, a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, and we have a little book on how to be Christian. Pastor Chase will have those at the information booth. Um, let me pray for you, because I know many of you are going through some discouraging stuff, so that's how I wanna end this. Lord, you know, if we had to raise the hands, there'd be hands all over the people are just going through stuff. They're going through a time of discouragement. And I really believe that you put this word on my heart because you love your church. You love your kids so much. And I pray, Father, for those who are facing discouragement right now, that it would not be disabling, 
and that they would not be the tractor sitting there idling and, and able to do something but not able to move. And I ask, Lord, that you would show us in those times that we're gonna be emotional. We're gonna have those times that you had, Lord, when you were rejected by your hometown, when you, your cousin was killed for, for believing in you, that you went through those times and yet you continued to serve and to fulfill your purpose. And we just love you and give you thanks for the help that you give. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for coming.